with me, you never know what's going to come out of my mouth. Wait, what happened? Hey everybody! Hey there fellow space cadets! You're listening to Chris and Marco. And welcome to the Contrast Podcast, where we rehash some of our favorite destinations and spill the tea on some of our shenanigans. Join us as we attempt to pitch a tent on the moon. So buckle up bitches, it's gonna be one bumpy ride. Let us dive into today's topic. I'm really excited to chat about today's destination. Please. It is in my absolute top range of favorite cities to ever be into. And I've wanted to go to this city for, yes, like it from, God, I was like small, 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 smaller than I am now even. And one of my absolute favorite places I've ever been to, so much good times, amazing memories was made in this city. And today we are talking about None other than Kathmandu. Can I get an amen from everybody? A gay men from the rest. I am fucking excited, Marco, because this is a place I know very little about. And I actually haven't really considered going there. For some reason, it's escaped my travel itinerary. I don't know. I'm an idiot. I must say one thing that I am really proud of in my very vast catalogue of countries that have been to is there's many off the beaten track destinations. Kathmandu not necessarily is off the beaten track, but you can't be a tourist and go to Kathmandu. I'm really sorry to say that. If you're going to go as a tourist, it's not really going to gel. The spirit is not a tourist spirit within Kathmandu. It's a pilgrimage spirit. You need a traveller, a traveller pilgrimage type of mindset to go there. And I was in Kathmandu about two years ago. And like I said, I've always wanted to go from a really young age. And this is a destination that kept on being fed and reinforced by interactions that I have in my life. And I will get into that in a minute. So let's take it from the top and we bring it down all the way to the bottom. So this story literally starts at the top. This story literally starts at me looking at what is considered the ceiling of the world. I love that. Before I got into Kathmandu, flying into Kathmandu, because obviously you can drive into Kathmandu, but bless you for being that one. You can drive in it. I did consider driving into Kathmandu. <laughs> Actually, this was in the cards. I was considering driving into Kathmandu. But I thought, you know what? The, the plane ticket is cheap. Let me rather just save myself that. And, and just to clarify for the listeners, when Marcus says he was considering driving to Kathmandu, he was... What he actually means is that he was considering being chauffeured into Kathmandu. That was exactly it. And I was coming in from a week-long stay in a little village called McLeod Ganj, which is where the Dalai Lama lives. Oh. I got to visit the Dalai Lama's sanctuary. He's, I won't say ashram, but I got to go and visit the complex where he lives and we will get into that wow. in another episode because I would love to tell the listeners about that because that guys is very off the beaten track if you talk about off the beaten track it's off the damn beaten track I love that it was high up in the Himalayas and I after that I flew out to Kathmandu which was I think very astute and good planning on my side because 
I went to Nepal with the correct mindset. And as I was flying into Kathmandu, and a lot of things happened for me to go to McLeod Ganj and come it was it was budget travel at its finest. I don't think you could do it any cheaper than what I did it going into McLeod Ganj. And mm. I learned as we were flying into Nepal, so as you're going in, Nepal and India basically shares a border, they share the Himalayas. And if you are basically anywhere in Nepal, you can see the Himalayas. And the Himalayas is considered to be the roof, the ceiling of the world. Yeah. And now you must remember, I was in McLeod Ganges. McLeod Ganges is in the foothills of the Himalayas. I was around the Himalayas for a while now. It feels so cool saying I was around the Himalayas for a while now. I'm just sniffing my life right now. Wow. Flying in and I see the mountains and in my mind, clear as day, the thought dawns on me. You know, whatever must be, must be. That's just it. Whatever must happen, must happen. Yeah. And I've been much calmer since that moment, I must say, because I feel like we try to hold on and we try to take control of so many things, but you can plan as much as you want, but things are still going to go to shit. And a destination like India will definitely humble your ass. So when I came into Kathmandu, my mindset really was, I remember looking out and it was like midday and the, the, um, the sun was kind of like hitting the Himalayas on the right angle. And the mountains were looking like very fiery and lit up. And in my mind, it's just like, what must be, must be. That resonates with me because you know me. You know I'm quite a cerebral person. And I can get lost in my own head at times. Mm. And She very smart. Yeah, no, well, just very introverted, actually. And what really helps me and what gives me tremendous amounts of peace is not really when I'm lying on a beach, although that's pleasant. It's not really when I am sitting in a meadow, although that's nice. It's when I have a vantage point. Yeah. When I physically ascend a summit and symbolically, I feel like I'm climbing above, you know, the struggles and everything. And I just get to look out and I have such immense peace. Even if I climb up a, I think you would technically define it as a butte. Uh, boot the lion's head mm -hmm. even when i climb up lion's head which isn't even that high mm -mm. it's several hundred meters i would presume above sea level that gives me tremendous peace and i can only imagine how when you are confronted with the himalayas mountain range being as you said this effectively the ceiling of the world you know because it's got over 50 mountains exceeding 7,200 meters in elevation, which is like just, if you try to wrap your mind around that, that's incredible. So I can only imagine how that would have, that confrontation would have contextualized, yeah. you know, so much in your life and just kind of brought this peace about. So that's, yeah, I've got goosebumps just thinking about that. It really, it was just such like a powerful moment, just like seeing the mountains and, you just have to stand in awe of it. Due to the nature of my backroads lifestyle, I've had the opportunity to sit in some very interesting hair grooming situations. I've had my hair cut by a sushi chef who would sneak rum in a Pepsi can so we can have a drink while he cuts my hair. A very sweet tailor who was good with his hands also tackled my situation while I was on the road. All of that just makes my travel tapestry so much more colorful. 
But like any traveller, home will always be where the heart is. So when I get back to Cape Town, chief on my list is sitting down with the Queen of Cuts himself, Brian from Broke's Hair in Greenpoint. I can always count on Brian and his team to make me look immaculate for my homecoming. Check them out. You can find them at 57 on Main, Greenpoint, or drop them a WhatsApp to make an appointment. 071-402-4664. That's 071-402-4664. While we're on the topic, go check their website, www.blokeshair.com. That's www.blokeshair.com. And if you'd like to whet your appetite on their artistry, check out their IG at Blokes Hair. And before I forget, just like my old sushi chef who supplied me with under-the-counter rum, you can have a cut and a libation, be it a beer or coffee or cognac. It's all included in the price, but unlike the sushi chef, this was all above board, I promise. But anyway, so I'm flying into Kathmandu and... I generally am a very calm flyer because of my past, um, you know, doing my pilot's license and all of those things. I'm a really calm flyer. And usually, I can usually tell when a landing is going to be good, bad, or whatever. I, I, it's, it's in me. It's in me already. And yeah. I was very nervous to fly into um, KTM Kathmandu International because that airport is infamous for incidents. Oh. Pilots are always overshooting the runway. There's always incidents. I have heard from friends that fly for those big airline carriers that fly into Kathmandu International that they need a certain type of qualification to fly into this. Only certain pilots can fly into Kathmandu because of the elevation. But that airport is very infamous for having little situationships okay. there. And it's not anything in part with the air traffic and control or anyone's fault. It's just where it's situated. And it gets a lot of international traffic and a lot of wide-body aircrafts. Mm. So I was a little bit nervous coming into Kathmandu and landing Kathmandu and I get out of the plane. Thank God we landed safely. I was very glad. It was the first and the only time I think I was like, oh, thank God I made it safe somewhere. <laughs> and I walk to the airport building and I get in there. It's visa on arrival. Man, oh man, we landed with another aircraft. It was a complete chaos in the, oh the custom section. Have to get a visa on arrival. And that was just, that was a whole a whole four-hour moment to get into the country. And uh, no, I think I'm being a little bit, that's a little bit hyperbole, maybe two hours. It took me about two hours to get my documentation to get into the country because there were so many people there. So how long was the flight to get in? I flew in from New Delhi. So New Delhi is in the north of, of India. So about from New Delhi to Kathmandu, it's under two hours, hour and a half, something like that. It's a quick flight. Okay, so it wasn't exactly an odyssey getting there even through customs. So it was like four hours. Or with okay, what you must understand is before I got into that one and a half hour flight, I got out of a 40-minute car journey, and that 40-minute car journey was preceded by a 12-hour bus ride, which was preceded by a 30-minute walk. So... Okay, fuck my life. Yeah, just to put things in context. But anyway. Your bitch game must have been strong when you were trying to get through customs. But it's passport control, so I had to, you know, sizzle myself down. <laughs> so 
anyway, I eventually get through there. And usually one of the things that I do, if I can, I will always start to get a local SIM card. Whenever I leave an airport building, I always start to get a local SIM card. And it was a really good thing that I did. Okay. Because I was staying at an Airbnb, which was not that far from the airport. Um, I think I was staying from Tribovan International. I was about maybe 10 minutes. I was about 10 minutes from Tribovan International. And I get out, immediately people are swarming me. They want me to get a cab. And don't do that to me. I will come to you and I will be like, what is right? Don't please swarm me. Because then <laughs> I've been traveling now for nearly... 16 hours Ooh. so i am I'm, I'm sticky it is Ugh. north it was it's in the north it's in the mountains it's i've just come from india it's hot it's it's busy mm. please just don't see i'm the same my life can't begin until i've had a shower yeah so i was just very much like oh god oh god please guys i don't just please don't swore me i'm just gonna go full on beach mode and you're gonna get cape down <laughs> right here Ooh, child. Yes, steady yourself for the lady. And I eventually find someone and I, I show the guy the address and he can speak a little bit of English and off we go. First things first, the traffic in Kathmandu, it, the city, and especially around the airport, manic. Manic at best. But this is Asia, so I'm used to it already. And I've also, like I said, I've also spent a little bit of time now in India, so it was kind of in the same neighborhood. And... I don't think I was prepared for that level of rawness. I, that was not what I expected from the capital city. I expected the capital city to be a little bit more built, well, yeah. more built up, but I didn't expect there to be so many unpaved roads and, and the likes. I didn't expect that, but it didn't detract from the destination. I just was poor foresight in my regard. I think it was out of all the capital cities I've been to, it might have been the poorest that I've ever been to. But what it lacked fiscally, it definitely made up spiritually. Okay, wow. So anyway, I get to my Airbnb and I specifically chose, there was a reason why I chose the Airbnb. The location was the reason, the type of building it was was the reason and all of these things. So for those of you who don't know, I am a bit of a gamer, gamer with a Y, not with an A and an M. And I'm not a professional or anything, but I do spend money on this consoles and it's a hobby of mine. Chris, you know, sometimes when you want to talk to me, you'll always be like, are you gaming right now? What's the tea? Can I speak to you? I can hear you fiercely striking the keys, you know, the, <laughs> the buttons with your thumbs. I'm like, okay, well, he seems to be engaged in the conversation. So if he's killing monsters at the same time, then... That's fine with me. I'm not that precious. I actually can multitask. I can't. So don't take it a bit. I can't do shit. I can't even walk and text, Mark. I have to stop walking. Oh my God, bless. No, I... God help me. If you ever hear me game while I'm speaking to you, I can actually, I can actually do it. And there's a game series that I absolutely love. I own every single one of the games that came out. I think it's about now. I think we're standing at about six different titles. It was the four main ones, and it was the Last Legacy and the Golden, and yeah, I own all six of them. And the second one um, was called Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. Absolute classic, and I think I will actually dive into that mm. from, from today on. I was thinking about it yesterday, but I think I will actually do it today. And it was absolutely amazing game, but this game chronicles 
the hunt for finding the lost city of Shambhala, which is also another name for Shangri-La. They kind of are, are interchangeable. And Shambhala and Shangri-La, it is a paradise, according to Buddhist and Hindu Vedic texts, that it is in the, somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. So obviously, this game took me to the streets of Kathmandu. Mm. And a huge portion of the game is played in Kathmandu. And I kind of got a sense of the buildings and the architecture that you find in Kathmandu. That's very cool. And I know this is a bit weird, but you all know already I'm fucking weird on here. And how I choose my travels is based on the various ways that I'm influenced by the media that's around me. Idiosyncratic. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And they've got this type of houses in Kathmandu, Nepal at large, where... It's like one house, but it's like over four levels. I don't know why. It's just a thing that they have in, in Nepal, where it's one house, but it's like a family and they own this building. It's like a four-story building, but it's a house. You can see it's a house. Do they let out the other stories? It's not like in Brazil, in Rio, where you have a house and then they build another little house on top of it and rent that out. And then that house builds a little house on top of it and rents that out. It's not like that. No, no, no. I, I didn't even see that in the year when I was there. But anyway. Well, that's just what I've been told. <laughs> I studied that in geography in school. This was just basically, um, maybe it's one big family at large, and then they just kind of all stay in the house. So it would be okay. you and your wife and your kids and their partner. I think that's how it basically was. And these people were renting out the bottom section and the second section, I think, to people that were you know, backpacking or whatever. And I was on the bottom level. Me and three other people on the bottom level, but I had a room and then we shared a shower. Okay. Bless the people that I said, but they were very, very nice. They were super, super sweet. And they were very accommodating. And they had Wi-Fi, shut for the Wi-Fi. When I got there, the mom of the house, she cooked me dinner. Because she could see I was famished. And... Gaunt. <laughs> Gaunt. And I, but I was staying at the bottom level and I get into my place and I lock it. And Chris, I'm going to send you pictures of this and I'm going to share some. Please. When yeah. we put out this episode, I will share some pictures of the accommodation that I was staying. I'm not a very picky person when it comes to accommodation. For me, as if the door can lock, that is it. I don't care what is the rest. If the door can lock, I'm fine. Mm. And it was bare. It was very bare bones. And there was a, like a door. You could see there was another doorway leading off from my room. But there was a piece of plywood okay. that was blocking off this doorway. And huh. I only noticed this the next day. But I heard voices the whole, like early the evening. But like about 10-ish, the voices kind of stopped. And the next day when I actually went out to go and explore, I realized that Basically, I was staying at the back of a little shop, so I could hear them selling. (laughs) I could hear them selling and whatever they were doing in front of my room. Interesting. That's unusual. As I said, it was very bare. A lot of people would not even want to stay in places like that. But for me, I like to rough it. And were you staying in a homestay, Marco? Because that's quite. It was. That's quite a popular thing to do. It was homestay. Kathmandu. I was staying in a homestay. Okay. That's interesting because I've heard, and you can correct me if I'm wrong based on your observations, but I've heard there's something like an upwards of 137 homestays 
in Kathmandu. I could imagine that that's something that would be there with all of those that type of houses, yeah. And that on average you're looking at approximately $17 per night if you're looking to stay at a homestay? I paid about 11 for the place that I stayed in, $11 okay. per night. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, 17 sounds about correct to me. It's also about the location. Yeah. So, um, but I absolutely love homestays. Do you want to maybe just explain to the listener what a homestay is? Because I think it's quite an unusual concept. It's basically you staying in a spare room of a local. And most of the time, the people that you are staying with, they are very open to travelers. Yeah. And they are very proud of their culture and they share a bit of their culture. Just, I've experienced people's culture through their food. Sometimes I'll sit down with, I did a homestay in Brazil where the mom, she was actually teaching me how to make feijoada and mm. um, pound the queijo and uh, like things like that. So it's basically where you're staying with someone in various cities around the world. It, you are paying a fee, but for me, that is such an amazing way to see the destination. Because yeah. me and you, for example, Chris, we are at this level of, of traveling now where we're not really that interested in the museums. We're not that interested in the sites anymore. It's about the people, the food, and the culture. Yeah. And that, for yeah, me, yeah. the best way to get the culture... For example, if I have friends that come to Cape Town, I'm very much come and stay at my house with my family, because I, I live with my family. And you will see Cape Town like you would never think of it. Mm. I have friends that from Brazil come stay with me. I've had friends from Saudi Arabia come and stay with me. And they experience what you would not get usually. Yeah. Because if I look at it, our city from a tourist perspective, you're very hedged off in the city and that's kind of where you stay. Mm. And the city is not really the spirit of the city. Well, the city center, like the, the central business district. Yeah. It's not really the heart of it all. Yeah. It's among the people. You need to be amongst the people. So that's basically what a homestay is, is. You are staying with the locals and being in their culture. So it was absolutely amazing. And I will see if I can find the link to the homestay that I was staying at. If you guys ever in Kathmandu, those people are absolutely amazing. I've only ever stayed in one homestay, Marco. And that was in Trans Sky. Ooh, how was that? What was that like? Well, for the listeners, I think a lot of listeners probably won't even know where Trans Sky is. It's the Eastern Cape, which is one of the nine provinces in South Africa. And as the name would suggest, it's just a little bit further up the east coast of South Africa. And that's rural, rural, rural South Africa. And I stayed in a mud hut, mm. you know, which is a nice building that's constructed in the shape of a circle made from mud and I think manure. Straw. And straw as well, yeah. And that was a very interesting experience. Very raw and when you opt to live that way when you're traveling somewhere, you become immersed in local life and you really get to experience culture firsthand. So it's not something that I've actually considered as a means of accommodation when traveling. But I've noticed recently, and you, you're probably aware of this, that there's a website I think called homestay.com, which is akin to the concept of like couchsurf.com and you have like homestay.com, workaway.com. Mm. And those are really cool, I suppose, means by which you can travel extensively and turn a small budget into... An amazing experience. But I was, well, the location I chose was also very strategic. Most people, if they go to Kathmandu, they will stay in an area called Tamil. 
I would say about 80% of the people that go to Kathmandu, I speak in the connection, goes to Tamil. But I was not staying in Tamil, I was staying a little bit close to the airport, but close to the airport, there is a place that I've always wanted to see. Oh my God, I think I was maybe 13 years old, the first time I saw pictures of this place. And I don't know why, I was so obsessed with going to this place. I think I was probably obsessed about this place more than I was obsessed about anything in my life. And I really, really wanted to go to a site in Kathmandu called Bodhanath. Okay. And it was not that far from where I was staying. It was walking distance from where I was staying. This was the first time, and I'm most likely the last time, that I've ever obsessed about something that when I actually got there, it lived up to and exceeded my expectations. Oh, I love it when that happens. When I think about Bodhanath, I'm actually just speechless. It's not anything... You know, whether architecture is anything dazzling or whatever, there's something within its simplicity and within its function, because it's a functional site, it's a Buddhist site, uh, but it's the largest stupa in the world. I think it's the largest stupa in the world. Yeah, I think so. It's definitely the largest in Nepal. It's the largest in Nepal, yeah. Where is it? It's located like on the northeastern outskirts of Kathmandu? Yeah, but it's kind of like on the outskirts of the city. Like 10k is away from the city center in a northeasterly direction, I think. Yeah. So basically, a stupa is, it's a mound-like structure containing relics such as um, spiritual texts and there's like prayer wheels. So basically, you go there and you have to circumnavigate it. And as you go around, there are prayer wheels and you have to spin the prayer wheels. And in the prayer wheels, there is a text. So for each turn, it is as if you are saying the prayer one time or for how many times the prayer is within this, the given prayer wheel. Okay. So by you doing that, it's a form of, I don't know what's the word, but it's, it's kind of like you're praying as you're walking around and you're spinning the prayer wheel as you're going around. But around the Bodhanath, it's in a square, but there's buildings around it, but it's like restaurants and little cafes that, that surround it, little curio shops as well. Really, really nice place. And I see. If you ever do go to Bodhanath, there's not that much to do around Bodhanath itself, huh. even in the square itself. But I was there for three days around Bodhanath because I wanted to see this place so much. And I had such a fascination with it that I spent three days there. I literally would just go there. I would yeah. just sit, soak up the vibe, go to a little cafe, have something to drink, have something to eat. That's literally all that I did. I know what this sounds very weird for anyone listening to that. I would just sit there and just take it in. Because I've seen pictures of this place for most of my life. And now I actually get to sit here and just soak it up and take it all in. And just really be in this very, very light environment. And the minute you leave Bodhanath, the craziness of Kathmandu is there immediately. Yeah, I'd imagine so because what's bizarre is that even though it, it's a city at an elevation of what 1400 meters above sea level, what you wouldn't expect is that there's a population of over 1 million people up there. It's quite busy. Yes. Which is crazy. It's quite busy. So I can imagine you being confronted with the craziness of that city as soon as you step outside of Budanath. I think for me one of the pinnacles of my travel was definitely just soaking up Bodhanath. And mm. what was nice about where I was staying 
is they had a, a rooftop section, which they obviously they used for like washing lines and blah, 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 whatever as well. But in the morning, I would get up and I would do yoga on the rooftop. I'd be able to look out over the city into the Kathmandu Valley. Oh. I'd be able to see the Himalayas and wow. do yoga doing that. Oh my God. Wow. There's someone, you know what yoga means to me. I'm always chatting about, oh, I did this today on the mat. Or, oh, I did that today on the mat. Or, oh, I need to go and do this. You're on the mat every day, aren't you? Every single day. Every single day I'm on the mat. Mm. So you know that it's something really special. And my mat is a very sacred place for me. Yeah. And to be able to be there and be able to practice and just be in that surrounding was absolutely fucking magical. Nothing short of it. But when the three days on the around Borenath kind of came to an end, then I gravitated towards Tamil. And I wanted to stay in Tamil as well because I've heard, you know, the backpacker scene, it's amazing. So Tamil is basically where the backpacker scene is centered and it's where the nightclubs are and all the nice bars are. There are some fire bars in Kathmandu. Yeah. Oh my God, the party scene in Kathmandu is really something else. Really, really something else. It's a lot of live bands and like really? a lot of live heavy metal bands. Really? <laughs> yeah. And I liked it. I liked that thing. So it was really cool to go there and you, among the locals and they're like head banging along. It was really? Absolutely cool. I haven't seen too many photos or heard too much about Tamil, but from what I have seen and heard, it does sound like it's quite an atmosphere. It's just buzzing and there's a lot of tourists. And as you said, it's the main nightlife zone of. Kathmandu and I've you know that I don't really like the touristy scene yeah I always start to yeah. show away for, but Tamil for me is the exception really because every single person that is in Tamil is not a tourist everyone in Tamil is there most of the travelers that you meet in Kathmandu is on their way to Pokhara and beyond they are going to be doing treks every single person is basically nearly there to go and do some trek into the Himalayas I would say about yeah. everyone that I met, I was the only one that did not go there for a trek. I didn't have the time, but the next time I am in Kathmandu, I definitely am going to do a trek into the mountains. I at least want to do the base camp mm. of Everest, at least. And I met people that did, that summited Everest, I think like three times. Whoa. The, that type of people you are going to get in Tamil. So, yes, it is touristy, but Tamil mm. is kind of like the bit where everyone kind of just chills out before all the treks get crazy. That's basically what Tamil is. Okay. And Tamil is, I absolutely just fell in love with it. But Tamil is on the other side of the town where Bodhanath is. And Tamil is closer and kind of walking distance to what I would think is one of Kathmandu's most holier sites, which is Swayambunath. And that was also why I wanted to go to Tamil because I wanted to see Swayambunath as well because Swayambunath is considered the second most holiest site in the Buddhist religion. And it's also quite major for the Hindu religion as well. Yeah, because I think that for, I don't know how you pronounce it, but for Buddhist Nawaz, which are like Nepalese Buddhists, it's the most important site. But then in Tibetan Buddhism, it's the second most important, yeah. supposedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's basically sitting on a hill, and this hill kind of overlooks all of Kathmandu. Wow. So I 
when I was in Tamil, obviously I was in Tamil and I was going to stay in a backpackers. I was staying at this amazing backpackers. It's called, I think it's called Zostel. Could be mistaken. Zostel. Okay. They are quite popular in India and the one in Nepal was also quite popular. And I have nothing but good things to say about them. The staff was amazing. The food. Oh my God, the food. We're going to get into food in a second. Oh, yes. I'm not sure if they're still around, but if you're ever in India and that side of the world, Zostel, definitely go and check them out. I absolutely love their chain. So it's a chain? It's a chain. It is a chain. Okay. But obviously, it's like cool. the spirit of the place kind of really permeates into the experience as well. Yeah. And I get to the Zostel and I see that they were a free walking tour to um, Swayambuna. I was like, yes, free walking tour come through cool. and cool. it was not a lot of us on the free walking tour just myself and two guys two dutch guys one was from love dutch people love dutch people one was from rotterdam and the other one was i think from amsterdam i, I, I speak under correction I, I can't remember i think he was from amsterdam or utrecht or something amsterdam utrecht one of the two you could be right actually anyway so we take a walk walking tour with with one of the locals to sway and and they discover I'm from South Africa, so okay, I can understand them. So they were very happy as Larry and the three of us <laughs> were kind of like the same age. Well, the one was really, 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 cool. really young. And the other... They were 19, right? Because you're 19. That's what we're going to say. And the other one was, I think, 26 years or something. But really cool. they were really cool guys. And then mm. we went to go and see Swan Buddha together and we get there. Absolutely, absolutely fucking amazing. And there are monks busy chanting as you're walking around. But, amazing sight. But the one thing that I could not get was the monkeys. Mm -hmm. I hate monkeys. I hate them. They are wild. And they are always, they're always, always jumping. Always jumping. And doing stuff that they shouldn't be doing everywhere. Are they as cute as the monkeys at the monkey forest temple in Ubud? Listen here, you're asking the wrong one. I'm never going to say a monkey is cute. You're asking <laughs> the wrong one. I don't like that they, 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 they act on the mind. They've got a mind of their own and they act on this mind of their own. Man. Mm. And me and these two Dutch guys and the guy, we go up on the certain portion of in Swayambunath where you can basically just walk up cool. and there's no other way to get off from this thing besides walking down with the stairs yeah as we go up there one tourist was acting a fool don't know what the tourist did to the monkey but i think it was going close to the baby so the monkey just kind of like reacted reacted to that oh shit <laughs> and then we fell into the line of sight of this monkey as well oh no collateral damage and this monkey starts coming for us we are on this little platform. It's either you jump off from this platform or you walk down the stairs. And this monkey positioned himself right in front of the stairs. And this thing is baring its fangs at us. Oh. I'm looking at the Dutch guy. I'm like, you the straight one here. You will go first. <laughs> if you must die, it is your day today. Oh, you can be a bitch sometimes. It is out for you. <laughs> it's game over. It's game over for you. And... You can shame this guy. I still keep in contact with him now still. Oh, uh, nice. He's like, no, but the monkey, it's scary. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. You, <laughs> you go and do something to that monkey there. 
And then he took like a little bag and he started swinging it at the monkey. And the monkey kind of lost interest in us. Oh man, I was pissed off. <laughs> I was pissed off the day at the monkeys. <laughs> and after that, I'm like in a sweat and it's already so hot. And I'm like, okay, I'm done with Swayam Boonath now. So let's go. I got the pictures that I wanted to because this was kind of at the back end of our visit from Swayam Boonath. So it was kind, we were, we were nearly done. Mm. Get down from Swayam Boonath and the three of us, we were so done after that. We were like, okay, cool. Let's go get dinner together because the hostel had a, like a little kitchen where like a restaurant attached to it. Yeah. And, but it was tiny. It wasn't anything big. It wasn't anything big. You could buy your beers there, your Everest beer. If you're in Kathmandu, you got to drink Everest beer because I mean, where okay. else do you have an opportunity to drink Everest beer? <laughs> what does it even mean that it, like the water in the... I don't know, but I drank Everest beer, girl. I don't okay. even know. And... <laughs> it takes you higher. It takes you higher. And so the three of us decided we're going to, you know, chill together and we're going to have dinner. And then with the three of us actually just started like chatting and blah, 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 whatever. Nice. And... Early on in the evening before we went out, I kind of met someone on the roof and the two of us, a girl from New York, and the two of us started chatting and she was there to do a yoga course. And so she joined us and she knew a girl there as well and this girl joined us as well. But the girl from New York, she got up and she left. And then myself and the two Dutch guys, what? Why? I don't know, she, she was kind of in and out of the group. Didn't commit. Myself, the two Dutch guys and this girl from the UK, the four of us started hanging out together. We did everything together while we were in Kathmandu. It was so cool. There was such a cool bunch of people. Cool. Like we would do breakfast every day together. And then we would be, okay, so we're doing this, 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 and this together. And we're going here and we're going there. And at night we would party a storm up and then, you know, oh, lovely. whatever. <laughs> it was so damn awesome. <laughs> lovely. I always think of them as my little road family that I met in Kathmandu. Oh, and the girl from the UK, her best friend was flying in to do a trek with her. So she also joined the group. And so it was like us that kind of did everything together. And so that first night we were just chilling there. And this was the first night that I was there. And it was the, it was the other two guys. It was the other one's first night and the other one's second night. And he's like, no, 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 let's do Daria. The food is really good. And the food in like the north of India, some parts of the north of India. Yeah. And Kathmandu, it's kind of very similar. Okay. It's very similar, but not, you know, obviously the thing that's special to Kathmandu and there's thing that's special to mm. like India as well, but it's, mm. it's all kind of very much the same. So, and it's very also influenced by the Tibetan culture as well, because I came from McLeod Ganj, which is a Tibetan yeah. stronghold. And there's a large Tibetan population in Kathmandu as well. So the cuisine kind of permeated into, yeah, yeah. you know, everyday life as well. I, first of all, me and Kari, we fuck with each other hard. Ooh, like, now we, you're talking my language, Marco. Same WhatsApp group. I can eat Kari every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm not even going to be angry with you. Kari can slide into my DMs any time of day. Any day of the week. Any day of the week. I love it so much. And because South Africa's got just a long history with India as well. Yep. We've got amazing curries in, um, in South Africa as well. Yep. Really blessed to say that. And some of the little side dishes as well also kind of permeated through to us as well. Like naan is quite popular here. But mm. even at my home, for example, we will have like curry and we'll have a side of roti as well, which mm. you 
would find in India, it's what I find here at home as well. And when I got to India, I saw, oh, they do the same style of ruti that we do back home as well, which is like a but like a buttery version of it. Because some of it is like, sometimes it's like a very dry, but we do like a buttery version, like really, really buttery. Gotta be moist. It's gotta be moist. Mm. It's gotta be moist, so it's not gonna go in. Wait, what? And... <laughs> you're talking about food. <laughs> Get your mind into the gutter, goddammit. Mm. Hey, you the one that was being suggestive. I'm trying to keep the audience on the straight and narrow. And they do this thing in the north of India, or most of India, I assume, because I've never been to the south of India, and in Kathmandu as well, where they do ruti, but it's like, it's got potatoes, like spiced potato, inside of the dough. Ooh. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It is the most delicious thing on the face of the earth. Oh. It is so good. Oh, man. It is so good. It is absolutely amazing. Your um, gluten intolerant ass can't have that. I'm so sorry for you, girl. But I forgot all that. I just like every. It's kind of a breakfast food, so you would get it in the morning with breakfast, and it was fuck. It was cheap. It's cheap as chips. I think I didn't even pay like a half a dollar for this. What? It's cheap food in Kathmandu is hella cheap. Yes, darling, this is the Queen Diva and you best believer. I'm checking in on you lot and making sure you're on the naughty list over on our Patreon. Our Patreon family is on the grow, y'all. And darlings, the Kiki is fabouche over there. We got some exclusive content just for you on our Patreon. And while you're in the mood and loving the Kiki... Girl, you can catch us on our social media. We got your IG at the Contrast Podcast and we got the tweet too, at the Contrast Pod 2. That's at the Contrast Pod 2. Now, don't come and be shady up on Twitter now. Also, browse our website at www.contrast.net.za to stay inspired. And if you want to set a base with all the tea, sign up to our newsletter to keep your finger on the pulse. And don't forget, we stream on all major streaming platforms. Food in India is hella cheap. See, I can make an exception with my gluten intolerance at prices like <laughs> You're like, like scratching through your mood. We are eating today. And mm. it, you'd get like a portion of like little sides. So you get like a little bit of a, like a yogurt like type of a dressing type of vibe. Oh, and then you'll get yes. some tomato with like onion chopped up oh. with like a little bit of chili. Oh. And you'd get like a little, like a chutney moment as well. And then you get dal, like warm dal. I love dal. Girl, I absolutely love dal. It's like one of my favorite things under the face of the earth. Like something I cook for myself. On the regular, I actually had dal for dinner last night. It's something I cook on the regular for me because it's an easy mm. vegetarian, vegan thing to cook. And it's hearty, it's filling. It just warms you up from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And so you'll have your like potato ruti, which they call aloo parata. And you'll get that and you'll dip it in the dal. Oh my God, have mercy. So good. It's so good. I just oh. want to go back right now. I'm salivating over here. This is not fair. It's early in the morning. I haven't eaten anything and you're busy talking about these tasty dishes and it's just upsetting because I can't have There's them. another thing that I also started loving when I was staying in McLeod Ganj and when I got into Nepal as well, they did it as well. It's dumplings but kind of made in the Tibetan style and they call it momos. Oh, yeah? Holy shit, I was eating more momos than 
I fuck, it's crazy. The amount of momos that I actually ate. I'm surprised that I didn't lose it, but when I was in India and Nepal, I was doing a lot of yoga. This was maybe offsetting all the carbs that I was ingesting. But man, because obviously dumplings comes from, you know, China and that bit of the world, but obviously it permeated its way into Tibet. But they kind of do it in their style. And Kathmandu, India as large, I mean, I've been a vegetarian now for nearly 11 years. Mm, I don't, well. I don't notice it anymore. Mm. I really don't notice it anymore. Mm. But when I do travel, sometimes it is a bit of a challenge to find food that I can eat. Yeah. Like in Brazil, good Lord have mercy, there's people, South Americans in general, they love their meat. Yeah. They love their meat. The carne asadas and the churrascarias, they love their meat. But when I was in Indian Nepal, it was such a heaven for me. I was in paradise because I didn't have to think there was so many tasty options for me. Like I would go there and I've been to some dumpling restaurants here in Cape Town and they'll have vegetarian options and mm. it would be good. But usually because most people don't really know how to do vegetarian food that well. So it will usually be like a cheese, like a cheesy spinach vibe that will give you as a Momo or as dumplings. Oh, uh, that's okay. It's, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good. But I just never had variety. Call now you get me in Kathmandu yeah. and I've got a whole spread. Oof. It's the meat eaters that don't have the choice, really. Oh, wow. And I'm loving my life. I'm just like alu parata, momos. And of course, if you are in the foothills of the Himalaya, there's only one thing to wash down your meal. Nothing else is acceptable. Everest beer. It's butter tea. Uh, butter tea. Wow, Everest beers for the night, butter teas for the day. Well, butter teas for all times. Okay. I've always known about butter tea, but when I was in McLeod Gange, I was introduced to butter tea. And when I was in Nepal, I was very happy to see that they do butter tea as well. So for you guys that don't know what butter tea is, it's also known as pocha or chusuma, but I know it as butter tea. So it is basically like a, a black tea. Okay. So they basically make the black tea and then they add like salted butter to it and they churn, they churn the tea with the butter and it becomes frothy. So it's like a frothy, but it's got a salty taste to it. It's very like it's... What color is it? It's, if you make like black tea, but you add milk to it. See, I, when you say butter tea, I mean, I ingenuously assumed that it was going to be like yellow in color. Mm -mm. I don't know. I no. kind of just pictured that you were almost drinking hot butter. <laughs> no, it's not hot butter, but it's it's a drink that they do in the Himalayan region to kind of buffer themselves against the cold and to get in good fats mm. as well so that they can keep a layer of fat for, you know, the harsh winters because they experience harsh winters. And it's got a salty taste, but it's, it's like a drink that fortifies you against the cold. But man, that makes sense. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Mind-blowing. If butter wasn't so damn expensive in South Africa, I'd be having butter tea all the damn time. But, you know, butter's not a big thing here by us. So what to do? Mm. And so that was the thing. I always washed out my dinners with butter tea. But when I was in Tamil, so Tamil is on the other side of the city as versus Borenath. And there is another site in Kathmandu. If you ever, ever visit, that has to be seen as well. It is definitely going to be Pashupatinath. No, Pashupatinath is actually closer to Borenath. Actually, no, no, sorry. It's closer to Borenath. And 
I've always wanted to go to Varanasi. And when I was in India, I didn't have the opportunity to go to Varanasi and witness the payas at Varanasi. So the Ganges River is very sacred to the Indian population, very sacred to them. Yeah. And Varanasi is on the banks of um, the Ganges River. And in India, they cremate. Yes. But they do pious. So it's, you can basically see the person burn. Yeah. So when I was in Nepal, they also have a site as well in the city, which is Pashupatinath, which is on the Bagmati River, which the Bagmati River empties out into the Ganges. Oh, okay. So it's a tributary of the Ganges. And I wanted to see, because I didn't get to go to Varanasi, I wanted to get to see the pious in, <laughs> on, <laughs> I wanted to see the pious. Why I wanted to see this, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I wanted to see this. And myself and the two Dutch guys, we ventured out one day. We took a walk all the way from Tamil to Pashupatinath. Moor long walk. We eventually got there. How long? Oh man, I think it was more than two hours. Shit. But it was worth it because we got to see all the little nooks and crannies of Kathmandu. And then we get to Pashupatinath at the perfect time. We get there at sunset. And while we were there, the sun was busy sitting and we were there at dark, oh. after dark. And we got to see them light up some fires and we got to see everything. You have to pay your fee. As a tourist, you have to pay your fee to go in. You don't get to go close to the pies, not that you want to be close to the pies, but you can kind of see it from a distance. And for those who don't know, pies are basically just like a, a, a plinth where they place a body on and they basically light it up and they say prayers around it and mm. your ashes go into the river. It was the first time I ever smelled burning human flesh, but it was a very, very somber wow. moment. Just a very somber moment for me to actually see this happen and to see the level of respect that is according Because it is quite a process. I mean, as a family, you, the custom is to sit or stand there and you wait until the body has been fully cremated, yeah. which takes hours, yeah. hours. We stood there and we were like, okay, we can smell people. We literally can smell people and Mm. We left, but it, it was a very sobering moment. So, if you are in Kathmandu, I would definitely say Boranath is a must visit. Swayambhunath is a must visit as well. Pashipatinath, not that high on the list, but to me, I think it is definitely a different way of seeing things. Because that's, that is what travel is about. is opening yourself up to different ways of doing things. Because that's sort of how I'm used to doing a send-off. Yeah. But if you are in Kathmandu... There is one spot that definitely cannot be missed, and that definitely is Dubar Square. And I think Dubar Square, as it's claimed to fame, if you've ever seen Doctor Strange, oh uh, yeah, Doctor Strange finds himself in Dubar Square when he goes and finds. I don't know what Tilda Swinton's character's name is in the movie. I love Tilda Swinton, by the way. Tilda Swinton can do no wrong in my eyes. She was amazing in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. She was amazing in Doctor Strange. She's just amazing in everything. Tilda Swinton is a mood. Is she also the White Witch in Lord of the Rings? No. No, she's not. Tilda Swinton, girl. She played the, the, the Ice Queen in Narnia. Yeah, but isn't... Sorry, not the White Witch, but isn't she a character in Lord of the Rings as well? No, no. That's Kate Blanchett you're thinking of. 
sorry, sorry. Not even in the same city, sorry. two different cities. Okay, calm down. Myself and my little road family kind of made its way to Dubai Square, I think on my second last day in Nepal. And I saved Dubai Square for the last, because Dubai Square was not that high up on my list. But I will tell you guys why Dubai Square should be high up on your list. So basically, it's just like a little, it's a, not a little, it's a square. And I think it's, I would say it's the main square of Kathmandu. A lot of things happening there. A lot of activity going on in Dubai Square. So we walked from Tamil to Dubai Square. It's not that far. It's about a 30-minute walk. Walking along the street, eating little snacks and blah, 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 whatever. Talking our bullshittery. And we get to Dubai Square and we go into the site. And we walk around, and my one friend from the UK, she sees this random ass door. And she says, oh, I wonder what is inside this door. And we all look at her and we're like, this is random as all hell. Yeah. And we just follow her into this door. Yeah. Random, this random ass door. And we walk in. Okay. And we get inside, and it's a little courtyard, and this courtyard is packed. It's absolutely quiet in this courtyard. And we walk in. Now, you know when you're walking into a quiet space and everyone else is quiet, immediately you feel like you're doing something wrong. And I'm like, okay, bitch, you gotta be quiet now. And I walk in. Yeah. And everybody's looking up in the same direction. Weirdest, weirdest thing ever. Everybody's looking up. And I'm like, okay, everyone else is looking at, I'm gonna might just do I might as well do this as well. Yeah. And we walk in and I look up where everyone else is looking up. And I see a window and the window is open. And I'm like, maybe they're like for like 30 seconds, mm -hmm. and I see this little girl pass by the window and back again, and she looks out of the window and she's looking out at the crowd. But she was there for about like maybe two minutes or something like that. But this girl was painted and painted, her face was painted. Okay. And she was dressed in red. And I think she was maybe about five or six years old. And in this moment that I'm standing there, something clicks in my memory. Something clicks. Something that I read a few years ago. In Nepal, in the various cities, but in Kathmandu specifically, Kathmandu is the main one. The people of Nepal believe in living goddesses. Yeah. And these living goddesses are inducted at the age of three or four. Oh. And they are treated like living goddesses. From the moment that they are, you know, baptized into being the goddess, their feet is not allowed to touch the ground ever. Until the spirit of the body, the spirit of the goddess leaves the body this girl is not allowed to touch the floor. So I read a few years ago about the Kumari of Kathmandu. The Kumari is the name of the specific living goddess or the goddess that embodies this child. And okay. the place where we were in was the Kumari Ga, which was the palace of the living goddess. Okay. It is very rare that you see the Kumari. Okay. It is very rare. And apparently just a glimpse of her will give you good luck. The king of Nepal goes to her once a year to get a blessing from her. He kisses her feet once a year to get a blessing. It is very, very rare. And we stumbled upon this. Was not planned, nothing. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. 
I actually knew about this before. And when we left, my friends were like, what the hell did we just see? And I turned around and I see the plot that says Kumari Ga. And it's like, I just think we just saw a living goddess. Very peculiar. And it was like, oh my God, is that what that was? It's like, and in that moment, I realized the gravity of the situation. It was such a huge moment for me to be able to say that I've seen the Kumari Ga of Kathmandu. Not a lot of people see her at all. Her visits to her little window, it's very sporadic. It's very, very sporadic. It's not timed or anything like that. But anyway, to round off my chat on Kathmandu, to wrap up, because we need to wrap up soon. Mm. Um, one year before I went to Kathmandu, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who just came back from Kathmandu. And this was in October of one year, because I was in October. And one year before that, this friend of mine was in Kathmandu. And she was busy talking to me this October about Kathmandu. And in that moment, I was like, man, oh man, I would love to, absolutely love to go to Kathmandu. And I still told her, I'm going to do yeah. it. I'm going to Kathmandu. And exactly to the date, one year afterwards, I texted her, I was like, I did it. I'm in Kathmandu. Hey. I absolutely did it. And when I texted her, one of the girls that was from the UK, loose, loose cannon this one. One night we were out partying and we came back. And we just adopted a random cat. We named the cat and everything. <laughs> we called this cat Pearl. I don't know why we called the cat Pearl. And every single night, me and my little troop would go out and party. <laughs> On our way back to the hostel, we would go and look for our cat. And we'd play with the cat first. And then we would go. Uh, like, when everyone okay. is down by the club, it was like, where's Pearl? Okay, let's go find Pearl. Where's Pearl? Every single damn night. But this chick, loose cannon as all hell, love her to bits. One night, in one of her drunken adventures many, many moons before, she got a tattoo on the back of her elbow that says, you can never tell. And she told me, I woke up the next day, my elbow's hurting and I look and I see this tattoo that says, you can never tell. <laughs> she says, you can never tell what? I don't know why I got this tattoo. When I texted my friend, hey, I made it to Kathmandu, I did it. When I looked up, my friend was standing with her back to me and I could see her tattoo. And she told me the story behind the tattoo, but in that moment, it struck me that I just told this person that something that I spoke in existence a year before yeah. is taking place, yeah. and you can never tell where life will take you. Oh. It was such a full circle moment for me. Yeah. I absolutely love Kathmandu. I would go there. Now I've got many Nepali friends because I work with Nepali people. But yeah. I have such a love for that country and for the people from that country. There is an honesty and a sincerity about their place which is lacking in this world. And if more people and if more cities was like Kathmandu, we would mm. be living in such a different world. With life, you can never tell. Well, that's a wrap for today. If you enjoyed our conversation, please leave us a five-star review and drop us a spicy comment. Also, we got you good on social media, so check us out on IG at The Contrast Podcast. And we got Twitter as well, so pop us a tweet at The Contrast Part 2. That's at The Contrast Part 2. So get involved and spread the word about The Contrast Podcast to your friends, family and colleagues. Share the love, Judies. And remember, don't be good when you can be great.